Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, uh, July 30th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. Later on in our program, uh, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, We'll have dispatches on the current status of the world economy in light of the burgeoning structural problems within the energy and agricultural sectors. The United States is deploying Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Africa in the immediate wake of a visit by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. The Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, the DRC, is strengthening its relations with the People's Republic of China. And the Chinese government has warned the administration of President Joe Biden that there will be consequences if House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visits Taiwan in violation of Washington's One China policy. In the second and third hours, we will hear from the African National Congress Policy Conference that is taking place this weekend in South Africa. There are addresses uh, by the Secretary General of the South African Communist Party, Sole Mapela, and the ANC President and State President, Cyril Ramaphosa. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Right now, we'll take our musical interlude uh, with the Lipoy Lipoy Orchestra. Let's listen in.
samasida kengela kaya Otika makamba ya mibali nyonso ya yanikie Patuwa o, etonda nzoto ye Bambanda otika kaya solo niki Natonda nazua ya mko inako kilelo kabama Kombo ya te niki, matema ya kosuwa o Tazinanga ya chaye, napamide na suka o Yoko na tangabwe Kogo ya te niki, mote maeko suwa u, kazi nanga esanje, nako mine na suka u, yoko na tangabwe. Kogo ya te niki, mote maeko suwa u, kazi nanga esanje, nako mine na suka u, yoko na tangabwe.
and Rwanda between the 7th and the 11th of August. This trip was notified just two days before Blinken's Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, completed his African tour in four countries, uh, in Egypt, in Congo-Brazzaville, in Uganda, and the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia. It stands as an additional sign of the battle of influence raging between the Western and Russian sides amid the war in Ukraine and a food crisis. In the very same week, the U.S. also sent another top diplomat, President Biden, ambassador to United Nations, Linda Thompson-Greenfield, would visit Ghana and Uganda on August the 4th. Now, during his trip, Lavrov rejected accusations uh, that Russia was exporting hunger and instead blamed the West uh, for monopolizing commodities and supply flows during the pandemic, saying it worsened the situation for food imports. The Russian foreign minister also added the sanctions imposed to his country were exacerbating the situation. With these visits, Washington hopes to change the narrative. A tough bet as many African nations have refused to condemn Russia's military intervention in Ukraine, with 25 of the 54 uh, states abstaining uh, from vote to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine during the U.N. General Assembly meeting in March. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswatch segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And uh, in other news, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo Ambassador to China, Balumwene Nkuna, uh, said, quote, I want to go to Shanghai for a week to visit the businesses and financial sector there. I also want to go to Guangzhou, uh, where many uh, DRC people do business. I also want to go to the major agricultural provinces to learn about China's advances in agricultural technology. <clears throat> China is a big producer of cars. So I also want to visit the car, major car making provinces. My dream is to travel all over China. Balumene Nkuna, uh, the DRC ambassador to China, recently gave a long list of wishes in his interview with the People's Daily Overseas. He said that it is an important task for him as an ambassador to deeply understand China's development and bring China's experience back to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Beijing, uh, Shanghai uh, Speed Railway, uh, which uh, Baluwene praised, is China's historical leap from a large country to a strong one in the field of transportation. From 2012 to the end of 2021, China's railways and highways have increased around 1.1 million kilometers, equivalent to 27.5 times the Earth's equator. High-speed railways and highways have covered more than 95% of the cities with a population of over 200,000. The speed of infrastructure development in China is astonishing. The efforts of the Chinese people are admirable, and they deserve to be a role model for other countries and regions, Bao Yumeni said. Bao Yumeni is very optimistic about China's economic prospects. He said that strong productivity is an important manifestation of China's strong economic resilience. And China's economy plays a critical role in the world economy. At present, China is an important engine for the world economic recovery. And uh, as um, a meeting occurred uh, yesterday uh, between U.S. President Joe Biden and People's Republic of China President Xi Jinping, uh, the tensions between the two countries are escalating. 
according to the Chinese state media, uh, this short social media post by the Chinese People's Liberation Army, which says preparing for war, the 80th Group Army generated over 300,000 thumbs up in 12 hours just on yesterday amid high morale among Chinese soldiers ahead of the 95th anniversary of the founding of the People's Liberation Army and escalating tensions across the Taiwan Strait. The post of Sina Weibo uh, has received more than 19,000 comments as of press time, with many netizens commenting excitedly that the PLO soldiers fighting, we support you guys, unquote. Some veterans said that they are always prepared to return to the People's Liberation Army whenever the country needs them. And some netizens also expressed their wish for reunification of the two sides of the Taiwan Strait soon. The 80th Group Army uh, posted a comment saying we must bear in mind the fundamental responsibility of preparing for war and charge on the journey of a strong army. The comment has received 8,000 thumbs up. Chinese President Xi Jinping said previously that only those capable of fighting can stop battles and only those prepared for war don't have to fall into war. Ahead of the 95th anniversary of the founding of the People's Liberation Army on August the 1st, President Xi, also the General Secretary of the Communist Party of China Central Committee and Chairman of the Central Military Commission, stressed the need for further implementing the strategy of strengthening the armed forces by training competent personnel in the new era, the Xinhua News Agency reported on Friday. Presiding over and addressing a group study session of the Political Bureau of the Communist Party of China Central Committee on Thursday, she also called for efforts to give better play to talent in spearheading and underpinning the cause of building a strong military. Also in the uh, Chinese uh, state media, there have been editorials condemning what they perceive to be the provocative uh, behavior of United States House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. According to the Global Times, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi reportedly kicked off her Asia trip yesterday with a tentative itinerary for Taiwan Island. And Chinese observers said the key to whether Pelosi would actually visit the island lies with the Biden administration. Warning U.S. President Joe Biden to make the right choice from the perspective of national security and the fast-shrinking economy that has fallen into recession. If Pelosi visits the island, it will be a slap in the face to the incapable Biden administration, which will have to face declining credibility and endure unprecedented and unbearable diplomatic and military consequences. And these consequences are real, especially after the stern warning from the Chinese President Xi Jinping, who spoke with Biden on the phone late on Thursday, according to uh, China-U.S. observers. Several U.S. media outlets cited sources who claim that Pelosi is leading an official congressional delegation to Asia on Friday with destinations including Japan, South Korea, Malaysia, and Singapore, and the itinerary listed a Taiwan visit as, quote, tentative, unquote. Pelosi also invited several senior lawmakers to join her on the trip, including House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Gregory Meeks and Veteran Affairs Committee Chairman Mark Takano. That's according to NBC News. They reported this on yesterday. Pelosi's Asia trip details were revealed on the same day as the phone call between President Xi and his counterpart, Joe Biden, and Chinese observers said Xi has clearly and firmly expressed China's stance on the Taiwan question. And if the U.S. went further, the consequences would be entirely up to the U.S. to bear. 
The will of the people cannot be defied, and those who play with fire will perish by it, uh, she told Biden, adding that it is hoped that the U.S. will be clear-eyed about this. In response to questions about whether the sentence was a direct threat to the U.S., a senior administration official said he is not going to get into parsing the various metaphors that China regularly tends to use on these issues. However, Chinese observers said that the U.S. officials clearly understood the implications of the sentence, but was just dodging the question to, quote, save the face of a great power, unquote. And uh, you can read that article in its entirety uh, over the Pan-African Newswire. And with that, we want to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, the agency has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire uh, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, July 30th, uh, 2022, go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Uh, Not only can you have access to today's program for Saturday, July 30th, 2022, but well over 1,100 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. Back to life. Back to reality. Back to life. Back to reality.
the sound of uh, the black-led uh, British uh, rhythm and blues group, uh, Soul to Soul, uh, a song entitled Back to Life. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Uh, right now we want to move uh, to the uh, ongoing uh, African National Congress National Policy Conference that's taking place in South Africa. Uh, we're going to right now listen to an address uh, from the newly elected uh, Secretary General of the South African Communist Party, uh, Sali Mapela, uh, speaking at the ANC National Policy Conference uh, taking place this weekend. Let's listen in. Amanda, don't leave the ANC, don't leave. Don't leave the alliance, don't leave. Forward to socialism, forward. Down with capitalism, down. Thank you very much, uh, Comrade Chairperson. Let me greet uh, first the President of the ANC, President Ramaphosa, the entire officials, former President Mbeki, and President of the country, Mplante, members of the NEC, leadership of our Communist Party, officials, Comrade Blake and members of our Central Committee, our delegation here, leadership of COSATU, led by Comrade Zingi Swalosi. We were together outside. We joined the picket line of workers who are fighting for their rights, uh, Comrade President, including ANC workers. <laughs> and we, did say, we didn't know we were going to speak. I have no prepared notes to share. I'll express a few words because I was only informed from the picket line on my way here. It's uh, <laughs> something that we need to address. Because we would have prepared you appropriate notes for what we think should be considered for this policy conference. Let me extend further greetings to components of our liberation movement, the mass democratic formations, especially the MK Liberation War veterans and the veterans of our struggle. Our main message, if we were as allowed now to say something, covers few things. The first is that this policy conference has a mammoth task to rescue the African National Congress from the crisis it faces, both internal crisis as well as external crisis, crisis of confidence by our people that have over the years relied on this glorious people's movement to carry out their aspirations as it led them in their liberation struggle. That's the first critical task, and therefore, Comrade President, will want this policy conference to come up with possibilities for the ANC to stop dividing itself and have a mechanism to manage internal contradictions and focus on its critical mandate to serve the people. The second critical task related to that is to rescue the National Democratic Revolution 
which is currently facing very serious challenges, including possibilities for major reversals. In many respects, we are suffering huge setbacks in our revolution. And for us to reverse this, we require a strong United African National Congress focusing on issues affecting the people of this country and, of course, internal issues affecting the organization of the ANC. Critical, therefore, for the policy conference is to look at the state of our economy. We want to call on this policy conference to look into major reversals of a neoliberal macroeconomic framework that has foundation our transition to democracy in this country. That framework that we have pursued is not suitable for our country. It's not working. We need radical change to that framework. This framework will respond to both fiscal policy, how we manage our finances, uh, policies, as well as monetary policy. The mandate of the Reserve Bank, for instance, to be expanded to deal with unemployment as a major crisis facing our country, to deal with economic development, not in the context that it is framed today, because the framework that it is in only serves the interest of big capital, which has no mandate and responsibility to the well-being of society. Therefore, we need to recast ourselves and relook into this economic framework so that it can respond to the living conditions of our people. Having said that, there are critical questions in the economic sphere that the alliance, together with uh, the ANC itself, Kosatu, Samko, and others, had agreed, and these matters have not been attended to Comrade President. This includes a comprehensive economic analysis so that jointly, when we confront challenges that we face, we don't blame one another. Sometimes it's too unfair, members of the liberation movement, when we speak in public, we speak in discord, precisely because we are not agreeing on the fundamentals. For instance, it is our belief at the SACP that for a developing country like ours, we need to be rebuilding state-owned enterprises rather than destroying them. Because these are instruments of development. If you just want to make to have them for the sake of having them to facilitate business, then they will not serve the purpose of the revolution. So it's an issue that if we were to have that economic uh, summit that the Alliance had fully agreed to convene, we will then place these matters on the table and deal with them. We will not have reached the situation we are, for instance, regarding the energy crisis, ESCOM, rolling mass blackout. In the township, in my township, Togoza President, when, they are load, when there's load shedding of two hours or three hours in other areas, it's 12 hours at a go. And the same, I'm told, in other areas. So in the black communities, load shedding is not as it happens in the cities and in suburbs. This matter would have received 
comprehensive attention if the economic summit of the alliance was convened. Now that it is not this policy conference as a mandate to respond to the challenges that we face, we are present not completely happy with the framework that has been put in place regarding the rescue of, es of ESCO because we still believe that it still places the responsibility to the private sector which has no accountability to the people of this country. When the people have no electricity, they don't call corporations, they call the government. So we need to take full responsibility, recapitalize ESCOM in the manner that we can discuss with society so that we are accountable for the actions that we have taken ourselves. So we still believe that these are issues that will further require engagement for this policy conference within the framework of the alliance. Other issues, Comrade President, are measures that you will require to deal with the land question. Comrades, any revolutionary will know the land is a principal form of property relations. In other words, it determines whether society is rich or poor, the ownership of the land. We can't be dilly-dallying on the matter of this nature, on the land question, in the midst of poverty. We need, therefore, this policy conference to come out much more clear, including not only relying with parties in Parliament on how to resolve this question of the land, including possibilities, for instance, to consult society-wide and take a full decision, political decision. Therefore, we want to take this opportunity, I think, because I was not told how many minutes I am speaking, Comrade President. I was not told, literally, that I think I appreciate that, Comrade Mutuati. He says I must cut. Before the last, before the cut, is to respond to the financial sector. The financial sector in this country is undermining our liberation movement and our government. The banks. But perhaps it's much less about them, but about ourselves. We have called for establishment of public banking systems. You can have Houghton government, for instance, having its own bank. There's nothing wrong with that. Municipalities, metros having their own banks. Because in the context of a country that is focusing on fiat money, in other words, paper money, money that is not pegged to any critical mineral, the gold or any other thing, platinum that we have, the banking system is organized looting by capital worldwide. So states must create their own banking institution to prevent public looting of national resources, but also to participate in the creation of value of wealth, of money for development. A sovereign country should not be begging money for development. In other words, we have discussed this matter sometimes with some of the leaders here, but it's practiced in other countries. We need to have a, a, a relationship, define a relationship particularly in a context of a developing country like ours with high unemployment rates, 
between management of inflation in terms of the, the, the reserve bank mandate, job creation, and the role of banks, particularly in the current system of fiat money. So that when you are to release money for development, you don't only rely on outside capitalists or investment. The state can drive that process of internal development. We hope the policy conference will find time to address these big challenges facing our people. The runaway inflation, the Reserve Bank responds further with blunt instruments. How do you think the unemployed, the majority who are poor in this country are going to be helped by you raising uh, uh, the, the lending rate in the country when they have nothing to spend? In fact, you are deepening their crisis. But because we have decapitated the capacity of the state, created fragmented the state interventions, and I fear policy conference is also going to be discussing setting up many other new institutions. Let's re review these matters, comrades. Let's, sometimes you can listen to your allies when they make propositions. It's not every problem that requires an institution. We need to take appropriate policies, build the capacity of the state that can be able to comprehensively respond. Not because when you fragment the state, the leadership at the apex level becomes only the shell. The agencies that are unaccountable are the ones that are messing up things. We want to take this opportunity to, to wish this Paris conference great success, more unity, more focus, less squabbling, because South Africa is looking up to this glorious movement of the people to come with appropriate solutions for the challenges that we face. Thank you very much. Amanda! African National Congress, the former president of the ANC and of the country, President Tabombiki and President Halima, the leadership of the alliance that is present here, delegates of the alliance, Sianibulisa. Comrade Chair, this policy conference arrives at a very difficult time for the country with the nation and its economy battling under the weight of inflation, load shedding and soaring crimes levels. There is an intense class struggle over the overall ideological direction of the ANC-led liberation movement. In contesting this space, Chair, capital is unleashing the most vicious 
most reactionary and predatory attacks on the rights and gains of the working class of this country. We have, as the Federation noted, that there is a growing and sustained attack on collective bargaining, including by the employers in the state. Therefore, the Federation comes to this policy conference not just to sharply raise these issues, but to ensure that there is a strong working class bias voice both inside and in the policies espoused within the second radical phase of the National Democratic Revolution and implemented by the government of the ANC. Chair, we want a pro-working class ANC that does not waver when it comes to defending workers' rights and that is committed to eliminating the legacy of apartheid and colonialism. This means the ANC government should stop the neoliberal macroeconomic policies that undermine the industrialization and job creation in our country. It should stop the retrenchments, the outsourcing and casualization in the state including lifting the freezing of public services post. This calls for an assertive and people-centered approach leadership that will ensure that those that are deployed in government commit to a shared vision and goals for the organization. We want a committed, honest, an ANC with integrity and humility that is critical in building an effective organization and government. Our hope, Chair, for this policy conference is that it should represent a turning point in the renewal of the African National Congress and in tackling and reversing the negative tendencies that have eroded the political integrity and moral standing of the ANC amongst our people. This meeting should reaffirm the core values and principles of the ANC, that of unity, that of selflessness, that of sacrifice, collective leadership, humility, honesty, discipline, hard work, internal debates, constructive criticism, and self-criticism. We need, as a federation, to see a renewed and rejuvenated ANC emerge. This includes an ANC which pays its employees their salaries in full and on time. COSATU affirms its solidarity with the ANC employees who have gone through painful hardship over the past few years. The Federation will be raising the plight of these workers with the leadership of the ANC to ensure that these workers are paid what is legally due to them. Chair, outside this conference, we have members of COSATU who are ANC staff, who are SARS employees, who are others are employed at UNISA. SARS employees are outside 
they have been on strike for over a month now. And yet we celebrate what the leadership of SARS has done in turning around the institution and we give them increases and yet those that collect revenue are not looked after. Outside, we have workers and members of COSATU who are employed in the retail sector, whom their boss, the pick and pay CEO, has just received a bonus of 33 million, and yet workers have not received what is due to them. Outside, we have municipal workers, Chair, who are employed in municipalities that are led by the ANC. Amatole municipalities is paying its employees through pick and pay vouchers. We want the leadership of the ANC in this policy conference coming from all municipalities to discuss this issue and make this policy conference to resolve on a kind of a leadership that continues to be biased towards the workers and the working class in this country. And we want to say it cannot be correct that we are going to sit here and be comfortable when public servants, office bearers, your mayors, your deputy ministers, your ministers, your members of parliament, you have all received your 3% wage increase and yet the government of the ANC has reneged from a signed wage agreement. It cannot be correct. This policy conference must reflect on the state of workers in our country and that of the working class in general. We are here to participate and we wish this policy conference a success. Thank you very much, Chair. Amanda, are too? I protest about the Okay. We're going to ask the president of the ANC to give us opening address. Welcome back. And uh, we're listening to uh, the proceedings of the African National Congress and National Policy Conference taking place this weekend in the Republic of South Africa. We just heard uh, solidarity addresses from uh, the other two alliance uh, members, uh, the Tripartite Alliance. Uh, we heard from the Secretary General of the South African Communist Party, uh, Soli Mapela, and Comrade Losi, uh, President of the Congress of South African Trade Unions. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with the address of uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa to this ANC National Policy Conference taking place this weekend.
Welcome back. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast. Uh, That was the voice of Tisha Campbell. And uh, we're going to go back uh, to uh, the African National Congress uh, National Policy Conference taking place this weekend in the Republic of South Africa. Uh, We're going to listen uh, to the address right now, starting up of the president uh, of the African National Congress and state president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa. Coming to you live uh, from uh, NASREC, where the sixth uh, AMC policy conference is underway, um, and the, the president uh, of the AMC, Sir Ramaphosa, at the podium. Following uh, that uh, fiery address by Soli Africa Mabaila, newly elected general secretary of the South African Communist Party, letting it rip there, saying the movement is suffering setbacks and that there's a need for a stronger ANC, saying the current liberal macroeconomic framework is not working and not suitable for our country. Let's listen in. Viva ANC, viva. Viva Kosatu, viva. Viva SACP, viva. Malbongwe. Ika Maramakoska. Raw, young lions, raw. National Chairperson, Comrade Gwede Mantashe, Deputy President, David Dabede Mabuza, Treasurer General, Comrade Paul Mashatile, Former President, Tabo Mbeki and Khalema Mutante, Members of the National Executive Committee of the African National Congress, leadership of the ANC Women's League, the Youth League, and the Veterans League, and the leadership of our alliance structures, as in COSATU and the South African Communist Party, and the leaders of the broader democratic movement, stalwarts, veterans, distinguished guests, and delegates. As I came up to stand here, the national chairperson says, Bafuni socialism, apaguwe, as you were seeing. Comrades, less than two weeks have passed since we laid the eternal rest, to eternal rest rather, to our Deputy Secretary General, Comrade Yasmin Jesse Duarte. We once again bow our heads in sorrow and respect 
at the passing of such a great leader of our movement and our people. As we undertake the important work of this conference, we should apply ourselves with the humility and the dignity and the determination that Comrade Jesse Duarte always displayed in all that she did on behalf of her movement as well as on behalf of our people. Let us honor her life and her contribution through the commitment to achieve the free, united and equal South Africa to which she dedicated her life. This sixth National Policy Conference takes place in the year that the National Executive Committee declared to be the year of unity and renewal to defend and advance South Africa's democratic gains. As the National Chair said, this conference is being held in compliance with the ANC Constitution, which says that the NEC may convene a policy conference as a recommendation-making body on any matter of policy whenever it deems necessary. It continues to say, but the NEC shall convene a national policy conference at least six months before the national conference to review policies of the ANC and to recommend any new or um, to amend any present policy for consideration by the National Conference. This conference <clears throat> was supposed to be preceded by the National General Council, for which our Constitution also provides. The COVID-19 pandemic made it impossible for us not only to hold the NGC, but for the ANC to function as it should which in many ways negatively affected the strength of our various structures as well as the functioning of those structures. Notwithstanding a number of challenges, including the lack of sufficient resources to hold a policy conference of the size to which we are accustomed, we are nevertheless gathered here to discuss critical issues that concern the execution of the National Democratic Revolution. It is due to not having sufficient resources in time that we were also not able to hold this conference exactly six months before the National Conference. And we would like condonation for that. This, comrades, in many ways is a defining moment for the African National Congress, but also for the Alliance, but more importantly for our country as well. Our deliberations over the next three days and the resolutions that we will adopt upon recommendation from this conference to our 55th conference and the actions that we will then take will determine the fate of our movement and indeed the direction of our country. 
the delegates to this conference carry with them the views of ANC branches and other structures on the most critical issues facing our country today. They carry the responsibility to shape policy proposals that will deepen the renewal of our movement and hasten the transformation of our society. As delegates, you bring here the outcomes of more than 3,200 branch meetings that you held in preparation for this conference. The proposals that we will deal with at this conference were discussed at some 40 regional conferences, six provincial conferences and provincial general councils that were called to discuss the proposed policies that will be recommended for our 55th National Conference in December. These processes, comrades, show and demonstrate the depth and robustness of our organization's democratic culture. And this conference should be seen as a place where we have a festival of ideas, where the ANC lives up to its role as a leader of society by developing policies that relate to the lived experience of our people where they live to shape the trajectory of our country. We have exhibited revolutionary discipline in our various discussions from whence we have come and our exchanges at branch, regional and provincial level in the various preparatory conferences have been quite extensive. This should underpin our approach to the discussions that we are going to have here, but these discussions must also be underpinned by finding solutions to the challenges that our country and our people face. And I'd like our approach to go beyond lamenting on the challenges that our people face, but coming up with solutions. Many people in our country, including the media, expect this to be a conference where we are going to fight amongst ourselves and differ widely on a variety of matters of politics and ideology. We will demonstrate, as we often do, and in accordance with ANC tradition, that where we might have different views and approaches on various matters, we are always able to build and find consensus and emerge with coherent policy positions. So we promise the media and others who are doubtful that we will come out of here with clear policies, coherent positions, because we are the African National Congress. This conference needs to send a clear and positive message about our determination to address the challenges that face our people and our country. 
The National Democratic Revolution currently faces a number of challenges and perils. Our movement, the ANC, has been weakened on a number of fronts. The weakened state of our branches has increased the distance between the ANC and our people. The divisions amongst us have also severely weakened our organization. And the same can also be said about the weak state of our alliance as well. COVID-19 pandemic has caused untold damage to our economy and society, affecting every part of the world and the way we all live. The pandemic, together with state capture, service delivery failures and energy insecurity, have contributed to deepening poverty, unemployment and inequality in our country. And now our people are faced with immediate and existential challenges such as huge increases in the cost of living brought about by a number of factors and some of them factors that are completely beyond our control such as international events that are taking place way far from where we live. We have seen a rise in violent crime, including the recent spate of shootings in public spaces and criminal syndicates targeting our economic infrastructure and business operations. Our struggle to overcome the devastating economic and social legacy of apartheid and colonialism, a struggle which much progress has been made on, has been set back many years by these events that we are facing now. Despite the severe challenges we now confront, we have the ability as the African National Congress to turn things around, and that is why we are here. This conference is meant for us to come up with ideas, proposals, and policies that should turn things around. We should recall what our beloved late President Oliver Reginald Tambo said reflecting on the adversity that our movement faced at the time. He said, we did not tear ourselves apart because of lack of progress at times. We were always ready to accept our mistakes and to correct them. Above all, we succeeded to foster and defend the unity of the ANC and the unity of our people in general. Even in bleak moments, we were never in doubt regarding the winning of freedom. We have never been in doubt that the people's cause shall triumph, close quotes. It is important that we should remind ourselves of what one of the most outstanding and wise leaders of our movement said reflecting on the challenges that our movement faced. 
The future of the National Democratic Revolution will depend on the decisions and the actions that we take in this conference. The future of the NDR will also depend on whether we are able to accept our mistakes, our shortcomings, but more importantly, on whether we are able to come up with proposals to correct those mistakes and shortcomings. Above all, it will depend on the unity of the African National Congress. We are therefore called upon to complete the fundamental renewal and rebuilding of the African National Congress. We are also called upon comrades to end corruption, strengthen the state at all levels, to grow our economy and to create jobs. Here at this conference, we will reflect on the state of unemployment in our country. We will reflect on the state of our economy, but more importantly, we should then come up with what should be done. What is to be done should be the primary preoccupation that we are all seized with. The central defining task of this sixth national policy conference is to lay the basis for the restoration of the ANC and the National Democratic Revolution. To fulfill these tasks, we need to understand the moment that we are in. It is nearly 30 years since we achieved the democratic breakthrough of 1994. Since then, as a country, we have made important progress in giving effect to the vision of our guiding lodestar document, the Freedom Charter. While this conference must recognize and detail progress that we have made, its central purpose is to determine, as I've been saying, on how we can do better and what must be done differently. It must outline those measures we must undertake to make a dramatic as well as a disruptive lasting change in the lives of our people. Through our Constitution, we have affirmed the fundamental principle that South Africa belongs to all who live in it and that the authority of government must be based on the will of the people. We can tick that box. We have removed many discriminatory and exploitative practices of the past. We have enacted many of the rights demanded and set out in the Freedom Charter and put in place policies as well as programs to meet the basic needs of our people. But while South Africans have equal rights, we need to deepen, to extend, as well as to broaden these rights and improve the access of our people to the services that they deserve, such as hospitals, public facilities, and many others. 
Since the advent of democracy, government has transferred over 4 million hectares of land through restitution and over 5 million hectares through redistribution. But we all know that that is not enough. Laws have been put in place to provide security of tenure for labor tenants and to prevent arbitrary removals, and government has several support programs in place for emerging farmers. But we know that removals and evictions are still taking place. This conference must find solutions for problems that our people continue to face. We are still far from where we ought to be. We need to accelerate the distribution of land to all those who work it and all those who need it. And we need to accompany the provision of land with sustainable and effective forms of support. Despite the setback of our efforts to amend Section 25 of our Constitution, we must continue to pursue all available options, including through legislation like the Expropriation Bill, to implement the resolution of our 54th Conference on Land Redistribution Without Compensation. We see this as just one of the instruments that we must utilize to drive meaningful land reform, not only to correct a historical injustice, but to ensure that we enhance transformation and empowerment, especially of the women who continue to toil in the land in various parts of our country. It behoves on us to use our land more effectively for growth and transformation. We remain steadfast in protecting, yes, the separation of powers between the executive legislature and the judiciary. A key cornerstone of our democracy is an effective, independent, impartial, and accessible justice system. We have enshrined in the Constitution the right of workers to form and to belong to trade unions. The ANC has put in place a range of policy interventions which have turned into laws such as the Labor Relations Act, the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, and many other laws to protect workers' rights and to bring about equality in the workplace. A minimum wage at national level has been introduced in furtherance of the demand in the Freedom Charter to address the huge gap in wages in our economy. We have put in place a comprehensive and integrated education system. But this conference should ask itself, is the integrated education system that we have put in place achieving the objectives of the economy that is continuously transforming or the economy that we should transform. This gives us an opportunity to examine the outcomes of our education system. Access to primary education is universal for every single young person. But we need to ask ourselves, 
whether every young person in the end does have that depth and extent of accessibility to the education system. Because we still find that many who register for education, their first year of education, do not finish 12 years of education. This conference must ask itself what the problems and the challenges are that our education outcomes are so poor. Through NESFAS, government provides financial support to students from poor and working class backgrounds for tertiary education. The assistance to our tertiary students has grown over the years, but we need to ask ourselves to the, ex the extent to which this needs to be broadened and deepened so that it achieves the outcomes that we envisage. In the past 28 years, we have made unprecedented progress in delivering water, electricity, sanitation, as well as refuse removal to millions who are, were denied these services. But we also need to ask ourselves, what is it that continues to make our people unhappy to protest because of failures of service delivery? What is it when we set out to ensure that our people do have water, a number of taps around our country are dry and do not have water? So we need to have a very honest conversation amongst ourselves and look at these shortcomings and look at these failures and see the extent to which we are not serving our people well. Children under the age of six, pregnant women and the indigent are entitled to free medical care at public health facilities. We need to ask ourselves, is this happening in real effect? I say so because gathered here are all of us as delegates who represent the branches of our movement right across the length and the breadth of our country. We know what is happening at ground level and we know what should be happening. Are the health facilities being extended as they should? This is the opportunity to look at our policies, but also to look at the execution to see whether the policies and the execution are properly matched. The national health insurance is being introduced to ensure that everyone has access to quality health care regardless of their ability to pay. Despite opposition, which was virulent in the beginning from a number of quarters, there is now broad acceptance for the implementation of the NHI. Even as we move towards the full implementation of the NHI, we need to examine the positioning of that policy, particularly in these times, particularly also in the wake of the pandemic that we've been through, and see the extent to which the efficacy of the NHI will match precisely what we need to see done. Almost 46% of South Africans, including the elderly, children, and persons with disabilities 
receive social grants. Some have said that we have become a welfare state. Yes, there are proposals for a basic income grant, which will broaden the social grant system. This is the conference that needs to look very closely at that, and we need to ask ourselves the, about the extent to which we can ensure that our people, our people particularly the poor and those who continue to be unemployed, can be cared for by the state. But we also need to look at the resources that we will need to support that policy intervention. South Africa is an active member of SADC, the African Union, the United Nations, BRICS, the G20, and many other international organizations. We've been involved in peace initiatives and peacekeeping missions across the African continent. We continue to campaign for the reform of the UN, the WTO, and other multilateral bodies to ensure that they are more inclusive and responsive to the needs of developing economies. We need to reflect on our international policy. We need to look very closely at the role that South Africa continues to play. Are we continuing or are we at all demonstrating leadership in all various international manifestations? We continue to mobilize for the right to self-determination for the people of Palestine and Western Sahara. We need to reflect on some of the moves that are afoot on our continent to roll back the progress that has been made, particularly in this, with the struggles of our fellow people who are the people in Palestine and Western Sahara who continue to suffer under oppressive systems. Despite progress in these and a number of areas, comrades, over the years of our democracy, we have yet seen a number of areas of progress, but we've also got great challenges in this regard. We need to see the extent to which we've been able to move forward to achieve the implementation of the Freedom Charter. But more importantly, despite all the progress we've made, there is one area where not much progress has been made, which I'd like to dwell on quite a bit. And that is the injunction that was set out in the Freedom Charter that the people shall share in the country's wealth. It is undeniably true that when compared to the apartheid years, the overwhelming majority of our people, yes, have seen change. More people have access to housing, basic services. There have been enormous advances in health and education. We now have competition policies and the measures that have been put in place to address the challenge of concentration of ownership and market dominance. All these are in place. But we cannot accept that the control and ownership of our economy remains in the hands of a few. Not only is this situation fundamentally unjust and that it stifles the growth and development of our economy, our policies 
on broad-based black economic empowerment and preferential procurement and employment equity have done much to begin to change the racial and gender composition of our economy, but they haven't really fully moved the needle to ensure that in the end we do live up to what the Freedom Charter said when it said the people shall share in the wealth of our nation. With land reform, we are, as I said, still very far from where we need to be. We still have much work to do to overcome the challenges of unemployment, of poverty, and inequality. This is where we need to ask ourselves very, very clearly and sincerely what we need to do. We need to look at the steps and interventions that have been made to address this triple challenge and ask ourselves whether over the 30 years, almost 30 years, meaningful progress has been made or not. Today, we live with the reality that there are nearly 12 million South Africans of working age who are unemployed, including those who are discouraged work seekers. Unemployment not only deepens poverty and inequality, but it also contributes to several other social ills, such as crime, substance abuse, and other destructive behavior. Youth unemployment is our greatest challenge and concern. Two-thirds of the more than one million young people who enter the labor market each year are not being absorbed in any form of employment, education, or training. And this has been our burden and challenge over a number of years. The number of work seekers is growing significantly faster than the number of jobs that are on offer. With millions of people excluded from the productive economy, and despite significant progress in expanding the social safety net and increasing the reach of basic services, poverty has persisted and has increased over the years. Almost one in five households reported going hungry on a regular basis during the COVID-19 pandemic. Since we last met at the 54th National Conference, our country and the world has endured the most devastating health crisis in more than a century. This severely damaged our economy, and it also led to the loss, within a short space of time, of two million jobs as businesses buckled under the devastating impact of COVID-19. The cost in human lives has been staggering, having lost more than 100,000 lives. Over the last 18 months, we have focused on accelerating vaccine rollout. More than half of all adults in South Africa have now been vaccinated, and 65% of everyone over 50 years has been fully vaccinated. While the economic and social costs of this pandemic exceeded any natural disaster we have experienced before, 
South Africans responded to the crisis with determination and resilience. And as a nation, we owe many people, particularly our health workers, security workers, and many others, for the outstanding performance that they did to save many lives. As an organization, I think we ought to applaud them better than that. As an organization, we must commend our members who went out to communities. And here I must applaud ANC structures as well as society structures and party structures who went out of their way to create a great deal of awareness about the disease and encourage vaccination. If there was a time when I saw us work together as an alliance, it was when we confronted COVID-19. And a great thanks goes to all the structures who got involved in this. And yes, we should applaud them as well. Comrades, as we know, as we confronted this pandemic and sought ways to contain it, we also had to take extraordinary measures to support ordinary South Africans, to assist businesses that were in distress, and to protect livelihoods as well. As the ANC government, we led in putting in place a massive social and economic relief package to provide cash directly to the poorest households, to provide wage support, and to workers and to provide various forms of relief to struggling businesses. This may not necessarily impact on policy, but it will be important for us to reflect on what we should do when our nation and our country is confronted by a pandemic of this nature. The ANC, through its National Working Committee and the National Executive Committee, did come up with these initiatives which were finally implemented at government level. A total of 18 million people, close on to a third of our population, received additional grant payments through the relief measures that we introduced. More than 5.7 million workers received wage support. Over 70 billion in tax relief was extended and a number of businesses were given assistance. Not as much as we had expected for all, but indeed quite a number. Had it not been for these interventions, the impact of the pandemic would have been much worse. In October 2020, we introduced the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan to restore the economy in the wake of the pandemic. The ANC and its alliance partners played a key role in developing the framework for the recovery, which was developed further based on contributions from our social partners at NEDLEC. As we continue to implement the plan, we have seen signs of recovery in the economy, although currently we see some setbacks that have come in. The Growth experience in recent quarters has brought the economy to pre-pandemic levels much sooner than analysts had expected. 
The most recent figures show that the number of unemployed people in our country has dropped slightly, although not sufficiently, as to be able for us to say the needle has moved. As we meet here, we need to recognize that our recovery, the green shoots that we may well be seeing, remain fragile, and we should expect that growth and employment will be affected by the global instability, the rising fuel and food costs, and the recent load shedding as well, which is going to have a massively negative impact. Despite the pandemic, we have been able to mobilize significant commitments in pursuit of the target that we set to attract 1.3 trillion rand of investment over five years. This investment drive is supported by a number of initiatives that we have put in place to ensure that our economy becomes competitive. Earlier, we introduced also the loan scheme for bouncing back a number of businesses. In March, the employee tax incentive was also introduced, which is having a markedly positive impact by drawing in first-time work seekers into employment as subsidized by the state. As part of our drive to create a new generation of black industrialists, we have been funding in a massive way and supporting about 180 black industrialists in the form of loans and grants. And we can see great progress as many of them are becoming real industrialists, thus moving us away from the colonial and apartheid economic construct that excluded black people from playing an important role in the economy of, of their country. Infrastructure, as we have often said, plays an important role in the economic recovery of our country, and this is now being taken forward as we look at catalytic infrastructure projects through the infrastructure office in the presidency. And these include a number of interventions such as bridge building, such as bulk water, as well as a number of other infrastructure investments. To address onerous bureaucracy that impedes business growth, a red tape reduction team is working across government to identify priority interventions that will enable us to have growth moving ahead much quicker. An important part of our growth strategy is to ensure that we have bold and far-reaching economic reforms. These reforms aim to achieve affordable and reliable electricity as well as transport processes. They aim to achieve long-term water security, cheaper mobile data for all South Africans, and to ensure that we facilitate greater investment in various other sectors of our economy, including terrorism, food production, and many others. Progress is being made 
in a number of these areas, particularly through the various interventions that we have made, through the master plans that we have put in place that have to do with textile and clothing, poultry and a number of others. For example, in March this year, as we have moved ahead with our reforms, the long-awaited process of ensuring that we resolve the spectrum challenge that we have faced for over a decade was completed to expand access to Internet and to reduce data cost. The revival of the renewable energy program and to increase the licensing threshold for embedded generation have opened the door to significant investment in new generation capacity. Generation capacity that should be embarked upon, yes, by the state to the extent that it is able to deploy financial resources, to the extent that it is able to underpin with financial support to the state-owned enterprise such as ESCOM, also to encourage significant investment from the private sector to add to the generation of electricity that is so sorely needed in our economy. Transnet is taking measures to ensure that there is further investment in rail operations and also to ensure that there is investment in freight lines through mobilizing investment from other players. This initiative is aimed at addressing Transnet investment challenges because Transnet also faces similar investment challenges as other state-owned enterprises. This will also enable greater efficiency and support for our export industries. In another example of progress, the backlog of water use license applications has been cleared as part of the reform process. It used to take up to three years for anyone to obtain a water license. It's now been reduced to some 90 days. So the turnaround time has been significantly reduced. Earlier this week, government announced additional measures, yes, to tackle the electricity crisis that we've been facing and that Comrade Soli Mapaila also spoke about. The measures that were announced will help to fix ESCOM and improve the availability of existing supply, accelerate investment in maintenance at ESCOM, and also accelerate investment by other operators to ensure that there is increased electricity generation capacity. But it will also accelerate procurement of new capacity from renewables, from gas, from battery storage, and enable businesses and households to invest in rooftop solar energy. Together, these reforms will expand the capacity of our economic infrastructure. It will reduce the cost of doing business and make our economy more competitive. Now, these are areas where 
as delegates seated here, we will have a number of ideas. We will have a number of proposals. And comrades, as I said, this should be the platform where we have a festival of ideas, where we all come up with proposals and new ideas on how we solve all these challenges and problems that we've been going through. If there are new ideas, innovative ideas, if there ever was a platform where they should be placed, this is the platform. I would like us to spend a great deal of time in our commissions and finally in report backs from the, the commissions where we will spend a great deal of time finding solutions, examining what has been done thus far, and coming up with solutions, practical solutions. But comrades, including solutions, for instance, where we come up with bright ideas on how, for instance, we solve ESCOM's 400 billion debt burden. COSATU has come up with proposals in this regard, which were also put forward at NEDLEC. But there may well be a number of other proposals that this delegates who are seated here can come up with. How should we address this? And how should we also address the challenge that Comrade Enoch Godungwana continues to face when he seeks to put together a budget that will not only address the social needs of our people, but also address the investment challenge that we have to invest further in our economy. That, comrades, is the challenge that this conference should meet. The putting together of these brilliant minds that we all are here now should lead us to finding those solutions. I would therefore want us to go beyond slogans. I would therefore want us to go beyond, yes, just talking, to do the analysis, but at the same time to look at the challenges that we have and find solutions. So here, I think the challenge for us is to come up with solutions. As these reforms that we have been talking about are being implemented, as new opportunities arise, we also call not only on all of us, but also principally the private sector to undertake the investment drive that they have been talking about, to match the commitment of government with a similar commitment that we have demonstrated through the reforms that we have been implementing, and to make sure that they come forward and invest in the economy and develop capacity in our economy. During these past two years, we have overseen an expansion of public employment that is unprecedented in speed, in scale, and in innovation. This has been achieved through the presidential employment stimulus, which during the first short space of time, rather, of over a year, we were able to absorb 800,000 or so people in employment opportunities. 
And the good thing is that 84% of those people who participated have been young people and 62% of them have been women. Now this has been an innovation of the EPWP. At this conference, we need to come up with ideas that are going to expand the public employment process that all of us are in support of. And how best we can expand that so that we absorb more than just 800,000 but many more of our people who are unemployed at the moment. There is no greater crisis facing our country, our continent, and the world than climate change. The world needs to significantly reduce greenhouse gas emissions if we are to prevent catastrophic destruction and widespread suffering. The devastation that we experienced in parts of KZN, the Eastern Cape and Northwest earlier this year have shown us how urgent this task is. As a country, we have started to define a pathway towards low emissions economy in a way that enables us to industrialize and to create jobs. We need to reduce emissions, not only for the sake of the health of our people, because this indeed is a huge challenge. We also need to do so to ensure that we have a just transition particularly in the towns where the coal mines have run out of coal, where the power stations have become too old, this conference needs to address the issue of a just transition so that we are clear precisely on how we should traverse this just transition. A major development of this just transition must also be to ensure that there is inclusive growth that does not leave anyone behind. We are working with international partners to mobilize climate finance to enable our transition while supporting affected workers and communities. If we are to turn the climate crisis into an opportunity, we need to construct a new industrial landscape based on environmentally sustainable technology, processes, and energy sources that are going to enable us to navigate our way around this transition, transition more effectively. And we need to ensure that this sustainable economy empowers black South Africans, women, and young people. A significant challenge facing our country today is crime and violence. Communities across the country live in fear. They are worried about gangsterism, armed robberies, rape and murder. Women and children are particularly vulnerable to the violence perpetrated against them by men. This morning we just heard of a horrible incident that occurred in the northwest in the Clarkstop area where a number of women in our country were abused. And we've directed the Minister of Police and Law Enforcement Agencies to immediately 
embark on this to make sure that the perpetrators of this crime are apprehended and dealt with. Comrade Begikele has already been there and we are following up on this horrible incident that happened in the Northwest. The economy is being held back by damage to infrastructure, to extortion at construction sites, to corruption and high cost of securing business and insuring assets. These problems have been made worse by deepening poverty and inequality and by the impact of state capture on law enforcement agencies and security services. Since the 54th National Conference, we have prioritized building capacity within our law enforcement agencies. We have done much to restore the capabilities and the credibility of the NPA, the South African Police Service, the Hawks, and the State Security Agency. We are recruiting significant numbers of new police personnel, strengthening the Public Order Policing Unit, and working to re-establish community policing forums. The South African Police Service has established multidisciplinary units to address crimes of economic sabotage and extortion at construction sites by so-called business forums. A stronger, better, capacitated South African Police Force Service rather, is key to combating crimes of violence against women and children. As the ANC government, we have passed three new acts to strengthen the fight against gender-based violence and afford greater protection for survivors. Yet, as we are to end, if we are to end this scourge, we need a society-wide effort that fights gender-based violence on several fronts. The development of the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide has therefore been a great milestone, bringing together all sections of society to undertake this task. We must commend, in particular, the ANC Women's League for mobilizing communities and for being an integral part of the fight on gender-based violence. The ANC Women's League led in a very strategic way to enable us to get to the point where we have been able to legislate or to pass legislation, uh, as I said. Community-based organizations have an important role to play, including in the development and the implementation of programs around gender-based violence, substance abuse, teenage pregnancies, mental health, the LGBTQI plus advocacy and other issues. What we now need to do at this conference, I'd like us to focus a little bit more attention on the rising scourge of gender-based violence and ensure that we debate this matter and find solutions that possibly go beyond 
what we have initiated. With the wisdom that resides in this conference, it will be good, comrades, if we can come up with other solutions. Gender-based violence continues to rage in our country. During the health pandemic, we characterized it as a second pandemic, but it continues. What I referred to just a minute ago, what happened in Northwest, which Comrade Beggy reported to me, is a manifestation of the spread of this scourge of gender-based violence. This conference needs to address itself to that. And this conference needs to come up with ways in which we can continue supporting the ANC Women's League in its task and campaign, but all of us can join in the campaign against gender-based violence and support various other organizations that are seized with this matter. One of the clearest instructions from the 54th National Conference was to end state capture and to tackle corruption within our ranks, within government, and across society. Since then, we have taken decisive measures to end state capture, restore state-owned enterprises, rebuild public institutions, and enable the criminal justice system to pursue the perpetrators of corruption. Since then, we have seen important progress, as I said, by the Hawks, the NPA, the SIU, the Financial Intelligence Center, SARS, and other corruption-tackling institutions. The most significant development in the fight against corruption was the establishment, yes, of the Commission, which the 54th Conference supported. The Commission finalized its report last month, and government has embarked on a process to consider all the Commission's findings and recommendations. As the ANC, we have consistently maintained that the Commission is a necessary part of the broader social effort to end all forms of state capture and corruption. We are therefore engaging as the ANC with the findings and recommendations of the Commission, as Comrade Jeff Khadebe will outline to us, to determine how these can help to ensure that we enhance the process of fundamental renewal and rebuilding within our movement. We must, comrades, ensure that we use the work of the Commission to make a decisive break with the era of state capture and that we adopt a comprehensive set of actions to prevent corruption and to end state capture. A necessary condition for the advancement of the national democratic revolution is the establishment of a democratic, capable, developmental state to drive growth and transformation. That is why the, national, the 54th Conference directed us to rebuild the public service and to build a culture of Batupili. This is happening across government departments, in municipalities and state-owned enterprises and other state organs. Public servants are being trained on a range of subjects, 
including ethical conduct, economic governance, and planning. Government will soon finalize the national framework on the professionalization of the public service. But comrades, it is this conference that needs now to deal with the nuts and bolts of what this should mean, how this should manifest itself. It is this conference that should deal with all this and not just leave it up to government. Because we are the governing party and it is the ANC and its alliance partners that must lead in this process. Yes, a framework is being developed to deal with issues of merit-based recruitment and appointments, integrity testing for all recruits and curriculum development. But it is us seated here who must now give meaning and flesh to all these matters that are being dealt with. Another part of our drive to build a capable developmental state is the district development model, which we have not really fully dealt with at the level of our conferences. This conference gives us the opportunity to look more closely at this model, which, by the way, has been in implementation over a number of years. There are a number of provinces that have been implementing this model in a number of iterations. For instance, KZN has been implementing this through the Sugumasake process and a number of other provinces have been doing so. Now we need to integrate that whole process as delegates to this conference and see whether this district development model from a policy point of view can actually lead to the strengthening of the state as we envisage. This model aims to eliminate wastage, to eliminate duplication of resources, and requires leaders and public servants at all levels who will work as a single unit within districts, and that we should all move towards a single plan at national level, provincial level, district level, and municipal level. Comrades, local government is another area that this conference needs to spend a great deal of time dealing with. Local government is the sphere of government where the state is at its weakest. Five years ago, in, 20, in June 2017, eight municipalities were under administration of the national and provincial government. By June 2021, 23 municipalities were under administration. And by February of 2022, this number has now grown further to 33 municipalities. Instead of moving forward, we are moving backwards when it comes to local government. As we have recognized before, Many of the challenges that we face arise from poor management of the political administrative interface. Comrade Nkosa Zana Zamini Zuma, 
who has the responsibility as the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, always says to us and says, President, the problem with the state of our local government is us as the African National Congress. We are the problem. We are the ones who are causing the problems. And as a result, communities protest. And when they protest for lack of service delivery and many other problems, they are protesting against us. So comrades, at this conference, and not any later conference, we must find solutions. And it is around the poor management issues, it is around the political and administrative interface where we must come up with real solutions. We also need to deal with the issue of real accountability when we come to this issue. There is weak oversight, poor accountability, and inadequate consequence management systems. We often allow a whole lot of wrong things to continue. Corruption, malfeasance, poor service to our people, poor management, just to continue without any form of consequence management. There is also, there is also a shortage of skilled leadership as well as management and widespread fraud and corruption. Comrades, we do need to get to grasp this challenge we face where through the fraud that is committed at that various levels, government overpays for services and products. Where, when we could have bought a product or a service for a million rand, yes, we enable government to pay 50, 100 million rand. And when you look at it closely, we will find that we have our fingers in all that is happening. This conference must address that because that is what impedes growth. That is what impedes service delivery to our people. And as we've often said, it is the fraud and the corruption that in the way, in the end, robs our people of proper service delivery. Comrades, this must end and this conference must address this problem. Now, what this has led to, which we must also address, is a situation that has contributed to continuous declining levels of voter participation in elections, but much worse, diminishing support for the African National Congress. As people see all these things happening, they turn away from the ANC. This is in part what resulted in the loss of several key municipalities in last year's local elections and the emergence of coalition governments 
in several places. And as we know, coalition governments are a prickly pair. You never know on which side you should handle them. And we often see them collapsing. The only answer to the problem of coalition government is for the ANC to win outright majorities in all our municipalities. That is the only way we can solve this problem. Our experience since then has demonstrated that coalition governments are ill-suited to effectively drive development, to provide quality services to our people, and to ensure accountability. Now, as the ANC, we have taken several steps to address a number of these problems, but conference must now come up with additional solutions. We must come up with the key solutions that are going to solve this problem, because I see this as an existential problem. In preparations for the local government elections, for example, we involve community members in candidate selection processes so that the ANC candidates had the support and confidence of communities that they are expected to serve. Now, a number of questions have also been raised around this, and we need to examine whether this is the right route to take. All mayors in ANC-led municipalities underwent thorough vetting and interview processes. We need to ask ourselves whether this finally can solve the problems and the challenges we face. We launched the ANC Local Government Barometer to check whether we are making progress and keeping to our commitments. We have amended the Local Government Municipal Structures Act to promote ethical conduct by councillors and impose harsher consequences for wrongdoers. One of the most significant developments on the African continent since the formation of the OAU in 1963 was the coming into effect of the Africa Continental Free Trade Area in January of last year. This is meant to create a market of 1.3 billion people on our continent and which is supposed to grow or expected to grow to 2.5 billion in 2050. By increasing trade amongst African countries, the AFCFTA will drive production in areas like manufacturing, agro-processing and other activities across the continent. It will contribute to the growth of industrial capacity and infrastructure of African countries that are now able to reach for, larger, for a larger market. If Africa is to realize the full potential of this development, we will need to bring peace and stability to all parts of the continent, and we will need to promote democracy, good governance, and the rule of law. And as the ANC, we have continued to engage across the continent with our sister countries on how best this can be implemented. The continent's swift and decisive response to ensuring that we confront various crises that prevail on the continent, crises such as the 
continued destabilization that continues to take place is something that we need to consolidate as South Africa. Our task now is to apply a number of approaches so that we can have common solutions to the various challenges that our continent faces. And we can point to significant progress on the continent in a number of areas much as the continent continues to face many challenges. As the COVID pandemic took its toll on the global economy, on the African continent we were able to cooperate quite extensively and came up with initiatives that have enabled us to be able to engage with the, the more developed economies on issues such as vaccines as well as protective equipment for dealing with the pandemic. The conflict in Ukraine has continued to deepen the global crisis that we face and on the African continent we are also facing the effect of that conflict through the rising fuel prices as well as food shortages. These events have demonstrated the weakness of international institutions like the United Nations and have made the case for the reform of the UN even more urgent. In the face of these challenges, we need to be more assertive in advocating a global political and economic architecture that is democratic, fair and inclusive and which prioritizes the needs of the interests of the poor. In the fulfillment, comrades, of the task of transformation, the unity and the cohesion of our movement is a priority. The ANC today is at its weakest and most vulnerable since the advent of democracy. Our weaknesses are evident in the distrust, the disillusionment, the frustration that is expressed by many people towards our movement and our government. They are reflected in our support in the last local government elections, where for the first time we fell below 50% of the national vote. Our weaknesses are reflected in many of our branches, which are not involved in the lives of our communities, but are activated only for the purpose of electing delegates for conferences or nominating candidates for public office. Our weaknesses are evident in the distance between our public representatives and the people that they are meant to serve. Perhaps most striking, our weaknesses are evident in the divisions within our ranks. We are a divided movement. And these are not divisions about policies or ideology. And I'm sure that our discussions will testify to that. But they are driven by competition for positions, 
by the competition and contestations of structures and the pursuit of access to public resources and patronage as well. These divisions manifest themselves in gatekeeping, yes, even in vote buying, and the manipulation of organizational processes. These divisions are manifested through all these challenges and problems that continue to debilitate our organization from serving the people of our country effectively. These weaknesses in our organizations, however, are felt beyond our structures. We can see the impact of our divisions and faults in our alliance partners and informations of broader democratic movement. We can see how our divisions have also weakened governance in many areas, have undermined public institutions, and have hampered maintenance of infrastructure and provision of services. These were among the challenges identified at the 54th National Conference and which informed the firm decision of that conference to embark on a program of fundamental renewal and rebuilding. Despite trying circumstances, the ANC is showing signs of renewal and we are continuing to forge unity around several issues. We've been able to make progress around the processes of organizational rebuilding where our branches were able to hold their BGMs in the midst of a pandemic and undertake campaigns in the communities. It is significant that as we prepared for this conference, around 3,200 branches were able to hold their meetings. The Letsema campaign has been seen our members move out and engage communities. Letsema is about grounding our movement among the people, ensuring the people can once again trust us to be a champion of the poor, to be a champion of the vulnerable who work with them to improve their lives. We have also seen progress, yes, in rooting out corruption and ill discipline within our ranks and beginning the process, difficult as it is, of tackling factionalism. We have implemented several of the conference resolutions on corruption and wrongdoing. As we have done this, we have witnessed concerted attempts, yes, to continue to destabilize our organization by forces intent on pursuing narrow interests. This has taken many forms the distortion of organizational processes, serious acts of social instability and criminality, and sustained propaganda campaigns. This is the work of forces both within our own ranks and outside our movement that are threatened by the process of renewal and rebuilding. We have said, comrades, that the delegates to this conference carry the weight of history. That is because from this conference must emerge the policy proposals that, as the leaders of COSATU and the SACP were saying, must advance the NDR and put it back on track. 
from this conference must emerge policy proposals that will drive forward the radical economic and social transformation that is required to achieve a better life for all. Our first task must be to complete the fundamental renewal of the African National Congress and reposition it as a united, principled, disciplined and popular and effective agent of change. The renewal of the ANC requires that we build our branches as agents of change and the renewal of our movement must be centered around, yes, our branches, our members and communities that our branches serve. That is where change must take place in a visible and meaningful manner. Welcome back. And uh, that was an extensive address from uh, the African National Congress uh, President, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, who is also uh, President of the Republic of South Africa. And uh, that's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for today, Saturday, uh, July 30th, 2022. We've been broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to this program, all you need to do is go to our website uh, at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll be closing out uh, with the music of Clifford Brown and Max Roach uh, from the album entitled Study in Brown. This is Abayomi Azikawa signing off, and have a beautiful week.
Thank you.